just so that y'all would be really comfortable, we turned off the AC this morning. Uh, we wanted to go back to the whole, you know, camp meeting, and so bring out your handkerchiefs and your fans, because I'm, I'm promised, though, I'll wrap this up in a short two or three hours so we can get out of here. But if you are hot and you're, and you're to a point where you're like, I can't stand this anymore, the foyer is a little cooler, and there you might be able to hear back there, but bear with us. We're sorry, one of the ACs, I was told, has gone down, and... They're working on it. So that's what's going on, in case you're wondering. They didn't just turn it down for fun. Um, But let's pray. Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for all that you have given us. We thank you for life. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son Jesus so that we can come into your presence with confidence, and we do so now. We just pray in the next few moments as we open up your word, that you would speak to our hearts, that you would speak to each of us where we are and let us hear what you want us to hear. Father, I just pray whatever words that I utter that are not of you, they would just fall to the wayside. I pray that you would just challenge us, that you would compel us to go forward in your love. And we pray all this in your son Jesus' name. Amen. So a summer afternoon, some half a dozen years ago, I got an urgent phone call from Stephanie. I was out getting ready for a camp game, and she was back at our cabin preparing for another activity. And she calls me and she says, Aaron, this huge snake has just fallen out of a tree and landed right in front of me on our porch and so she had been on the phone with her mom, and so it was this big deal. And I got over there, I grabbed a camp guy with a weed eater, and we got over there, and there was this huge cottonmouth, like five feet long, and it was humongous. And so we took the weed eater and took care of the snake, and then I tried to skin it unsuccessfully. My knife wasn't sharp enough. I would have loved to have that huge skin. That would have been awesome, but it didn't work out. But the thing is, is that for me, and the reason we had to get rid of that snake is because this camp had this problem. They had a problem with, that was, it was just infested with these cottonmouths. And we had been using this camp property for several years. And, and for the first couple of years we used it, we had to even get up early in the morning before the campers would get up and make sure we make it to their porches because there was a couple of times that the cottonmouths would just love the coolness of the porch being up off the ground. And so we'd go there and there'd be a huge cottonmouth just laying across in front of the door where the campers were. And so we had to take care of those. And so we knew that this was a problem. And our, one summer, our nurse, she was making sure she was vigilant. So she was telling the campers, you know, make sure you're wearing closed-toed shoes, always have a flashlight, make sure you're watching where you're stepping, all of that. We had just finished worship. The campers had gone back to their cabins for the evening, and there were some of us kind of cleaning up, getting ready for the next day in the worship center. And our nurse walks in, and she says, I just got bit by a snake. And we're like, okay, sure. She's a little of a jokester. We're thinking she's just kind of pulling our leg because she's been so adamant about it all week. She's like, no, I got bit by a snake. She holds up her foot, and it's like the size of a basketball. And we're like, Okay, you got bit by a snake. Her brother was one of our board members and volunteers, and he got her in the car, and they took off. And she ended up being fine, but that snake story will always stick with me. It seems that snakes and a fear of snakes is one of those common things that we so often have as humans. If we don't have a fear of snakes, then we just usually don't really enjoy having them around. And we all could come up with some good snake stories But all of our snake stories 
pale in comparison to this, one of the most horrific snake stories we find in Numbers 21. We're told the Israelites had, they're on the move, traveling around the wilderness as they were at this point in time. God's chosen people, but yet they complained and they grumbled. They were tired of wandering in the desert, and they were upset at God. They even told him that they hated the food he was providing. They hated the manna. And so God responded. He responded with a plague of poisonous snakes. Now, I imagine this is probably one of their first worst fears realized. Having traveled in the desert, they probably had encountered some of these poisonous serpents before. And maybe that was even the thing that the children's nightmares were filled with. But now God, as punishment, has sent these snakes from all out in the desert into camp and began biting people and killing people. People began dying. And so they cried out and they said, Moses, we know we have sinned. We've done something wrong. Do something about it. And so Moses prays to God and God says, okay. God doesn't relent. He doesn't take the snakes. He says, okay, Moses, this is what you do. You make a bronze snake, and you put it on a stick, and you hold it up. And if anybody gets bit by a serpent, they look at it, and they won't die. They'll be healed. So Moses does exactly this, and that's what happens. Makes this snake. Anyone looks at it, they're healed. So this is one of those obscure stories in the Old Testament that you, you might encounter, and you're like, what? Why is this even in here? What is this even? And it begins abruptly, ends abruptly, and it seems to never be brought back again. But quite literally, the Israelites were snake bit. But long before they found themselves at the mercy of those snakes, plagued by those vipers, there was something incredibly wrong. They were snake bit in a very different way. And perhaps Jesus was pondering this old story as Nicodemus slithered into the room from the brood of Pharisees. The crisp spring night air in Jerusalem buzzed with excitement about a new teacher in town. Travelers from far and wide filled the town, filled Jerusalem for Passover. In the midst of the preparations for the Passover feast, a stranger walks into the temple and literally turns everything upside down. This man, Jesus, had done so many miraculous things during that festival, during Passover festival, that people began to trust him. Even the religious leaders began to pay attention to him. And so one of them, Nicodemus, comes to Jesus to check things out. And so this morning we get to kind of be like a little fly on the wall and hear this dialogue between Nicodemus and Jesus. So in John 3, it starts this way. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a religious leader. After dark one evening, he came to Jesus, Rabbi, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with us. Jesus replies, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. What? What do you mean? exclaims Nicodemus. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And Jesus replies, I assure you that no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. 
Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it wants, just as you can hear the wind, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. How are these things possible? Nicodemus asks. And Jesus replies, you're a respected Jewish teacher, yet you don't understand these things? I assure you, we tell you what we know and have seen, and yet you won't believe our testimony. But if you don't believe me when I tell you about earthly things, how can you possibly believe if I tell you about heavenly things? No one has ever gone to heaven and returned, but the Son of Man has come down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on a pole in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up so that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. For God loved the world so much that he gave his one and only Son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. You see, the ancient Israelites, as well as Nick and the Pharisees, had missed something. Their focus had shifted. The Holy Spirit had passed right before their eyes, and they missed it. They were snake bit. And all too often, we stumble through life snake bit in pain and in disorientation. So what does it mean to be snake bit? We can look at these two stories, the ancient Israelites and Nicodemus, and we can begin to put a picture together of that. The ancient Israelites had just come out of a monumental victory and battle. The Israelites were still nomadic, so after this battle, after they won, they continued on their way, and they were on the move. And the people began to grumble. Why have you brought us out here to die? It was better in Egypt. We have nothing to eat or to drink, and we hate manna. And you hear these words as you read this in Numbers, and you think to yourself, okay, so this is soon after they had left Egypt. But it's not so. This is the second generation of Israelites who have left Egypt. This is the kids of the parents who rejected the promised land. And because their parents had rejected the promised land, they had been wandering in the desert for 37 years. Yet here's a generation, a new generation, still complaining to God that God's protection, that God's food, God's provision is not good enough. Their earthly priorities and desires always demanded more. You see, they were snake bit long before the vipers struck. Generations later, a young Hezekiah, King Hezekiah, takes the throne. 2 Kings 18, he tells tells us that he purified Israel of idol worship. He removed pagan shrines. He tore down their places of worship. He cut down the idols. One particular idol stands out, Nehushtan, the bronze serpent Moses had made hundreds of years before. The Israelites had kept it. And over the generations, they had given it a name, and they had begun to celebrate this serpent as being the one who healed them. They had missed 
God's amazing power for the earthly. They put their mind on the things of the earthly worship of this serpent, the earthly results that they sought. It seems this attitude of the ancient Israelites just wouldn't change. Something was horribly wrong. They were snake bit. Over and over again, they had elevated the earthly things around them, above and beyond the spiritual. The ancient Israelites just couldn't handle God's blessing, God's presence with them. On one hand, God's blessings weren't good enough. They looked down on them with contempt. And on the other hand, they couldn't get enough of God's blessing, trying to manipulate God into getting what they wanted. God was faithful, though, despite their unfaithfulness. And so in both these ways, the Israelites totally missed God at work in their very midst. They were snake bit. Nicodemus and his brood of religious leaders had the same problem. Jesus knew it, and with laser focus, he hit his target. Nick had come to Jesus. He had heard, just like all these other in Jerusalem that time during Passover. He had seen the miraculous signs. He had heard about the things Jesus had done. And so here Nick comes to Jesus. I don't think that necessarily Nick came in secrecy or in fear. I think that Nick comes to Jesus when it's quiet and it's still and he can finally get at the heart of what he wants to know. And it's this. Nick represents the very best of human wisdom, of human knowledge, human philosophy, theology, and morality that existed at that time. He's a man of power and influence. So this confident leader walks into Jesus and he says, okay, I've seen these miraculous signs and it's obvious that God is doing something here. And I imagine that at that moment, he's opening his mouth to ask the question, but who are you? But before he can even get a word out, Jesus says, he looks square, him square in the eyes and says, you are snake bit. Not in those exact words, but he says to him, you need to be born again. So here Nicodemus is coming to ask, well, who are you? And Jesus' response is, be born again. This leaves Nick dumbfounded because to him and to the other religious leaders, to have spiritual life, you had to follow a bunch of religious regulations, hundreds of religious regulations. That's how you found spiritual life. In the middle of their earthly practice of their faith, they had missed God. They were snake bit. There's one antivenom, one solution in verse 14 and 15. Jesus said, I, like the snake, must be lifted up so that anyone who believes in me will be saved. And then we come to this verse, this verse that so many of us know well. For God so loved the world so much he gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. God sent his son in the world not to judge the world but to save the world through him. The son came to save. It's not often that we stop and we talk about John 3, 16 and 17 and put it into conversation with this story of Nicodemus, of this religious leader who comes to Jesus trying to figure things out. And it's even less often that we put this into conversation with a story about snakes in the desert from the Old Testament. 
but it's important that we do that. The beauty and simplicity of John 3.16 lends us to share this verse as an invitation to anyone seeking salvation. Believe and you'll be saved. True. Very, very true. But if we stop there, if we just pluck John 3.16 out, and we don't put it into conversation with these two stories, I think we fall short of its full meaning. In a sermon on this passage, the reformer Martin Luther says, Jesus takes from Nicodemus everything in which he feels secure, and now will make a new man of him, giving him a new heart and enabling him to walk by faith. We need to restore the level of authority to the scripture so that it undoes us every time that we hear it. Salvation for Jesus isn't only about going to heaven. Jesus in John John 3 here, Jesus is laying out a new paradigm for life. When Jesus says, you must be born again, Nick responds, how is that possible? How How can an old man get back in his mom's tummy? And Nick rightfully states this, that human birth is a one-way street, that it's a one-way process. There's no going backwards. And when we believe in Jesus and we're saved, we're given a new life, a new life centered on him. And when we experience this new life, it's the same thing as in human birth. It's a one-way street. Because of this new life, we can no longer live centered on earthly priorities, goals, or dreams. That would be like trying to crawl back into our mom's tummy. The ancient Israelites and Nicodemus were followers of God. Yet their life was centered on earthly priorities, goals, and dreams. They were snake bit because they elevated the earthly things over the relationship with God. And all too often, we find ourselves in the same situation, that we are living snake-bit lives. Our spiritual life is um, it's inseparable. It's inseparable of the life that we live each and every day. We're called to live a life that is grounded in our relationship with God, that drives everything forward. Yet our tendency is to evaluate and practice our spiritual life from an earthly perspective. That shows up in many different ways. A couple of different ways it shows up might be something like this. I'm a good moral person. I've accepted Jesus as my Savior. But, you know, every day is so full. It's filled with the routine of work and family, and then I might get a little sleep and repeat over and over with a little recreation thrown in here or there. And as busyness and stress settles in, it's so easy to push God to a weekend activity. Sometimes we can make it through a whole week and not give God much thought. I also know it's possible to make it through a morning at church without giving God any attention. I know because I've done it before, and I'm sure I'm not alone in that. And when this is how we practice our faith, we're snake bit. We cannot live like there is no intersection between life and faith. Jesus speaks to the devotion he requires as he recalls this story of a snake on a stick. The ancient Israelites had to stop whatever they were doing and turn and look at this snake, center their attention on this snake to be healed. And Jesus says, I will be elevated like that snake. Anyone who centers themselves on me, anyone who believes, 
will be saved. So this idea of stopping and turning and focusing on Jesus, it's that devotion that he requires. Every moment of every day has to be grounded in our relationship with God. It's so easy to lose focus. The other tendency is that we drift towards an earthly practice of our faith. Might listen, might show up like this. Hmm. This week, man, it's been a long week. How's this week gone? Let's see. How am I doing? I didn't cuss this week. Check. I didn't gossip. Check. I didn't get angry. Well, there was that one time that person cut me off, and I was really mad, and I shot imaginary missiles at them. But, hey, they deserved it, so that's okay. Check. I went to church. Check. I prayed through the prayer list. Check. Oh, and I read my Bible. I read the Bible passages for Sunday school, and they were in Leviticus, so double check. And... When the practice of our faith is all about check marks or guilt, because we don't have check marks, we're snake bit. For God so loved the world so much that he gave his only son, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but will have eternal life. God sent his son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus gives Nicodemus a new paradigm for a God-focused life. Jesus tells Nicodemus simply this in these two verses, God loves, so he gave everything. In following Jesus, there are no gold stars for effort. Whoever believes gets all of God's love. You can't earn more. And there's no half-hearted devotion. The paradigm for our relationship with God is God's approach to us. God loves us so much, he gave up everything. Nick and his brood had lost sight of true heart worship in the midst of religious regulations. And Jesus gives us a new formula for worship and life. Love given through 100% commitment. Anything elevated above or beside God is a snake-bit life. We have to continually train our eyes on Jesus, centering everything we do in him over and over again. And in doing so, this is the way that we will experience the joy that comes from our freedom from sins and the freedom from the serpent who lurks in the darkness. I want us to take a few moments to reflect. So let's bow our head, close our eyes, and let's just pause there. Let's think about this. Think about our life before God. Perhaps rewind that tape of this week. How does this paradigm, God loves us so he gave everything, match our life? We're going to take a few minutes to pray. And as we pray, if you've never made the decision to accept Jesus as your Savior, perhaps now is the time. Jesus was clear, if anyone believes, he will not perish but have everlasting life, a new life in relationship with God. Cry out to God. Tell him you want to be forgiven and live this new life. My sisters and brothers, let's invite God to search our hearts, 
to reveal any way we are not 100% devoted, crying out that God will restore a right spirit within us. So during this time, as we reflect, pray where you are or feel free to come and pray up here. If you'd like to talk about what is on your heart, share a decision you have made or like to join our church, we're here to meet with you.